Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We're In Social Work. Hello. I'm Charles Sims, your host for this episode of In Social Work. In 2005, a survey of over 1,000 members of the National Association of Social Workers found that almost 86% reported experiencing psychological aggression at some point in their careers. Just over 30% of those members reported experiencing a physical assault. While working at an inpatient psychiatric facility early in her career, today's guest became interested in workplace violence. She reported being struck by the tension of maintaining staff and patient safety in such a challenging setting. And perhaps more significantly, she recognized the importance of building relationships with individual patients while being aware that a person might act in an aggressive manner. Dr. Erin Kelly received her Ph.D. from the University of California, Irvine, in 2012. She is currently a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of California, Los Angeles, Semmel Institute. She is also a visiting scholar at the University of Southern California's School of Social Work in its Serious Mental Illness Cluster. Dr. Kelly's work has focused on how public institutions deal with mental illness and violence in those institutions, as well as the community at large. She has also studied the development of bottom-up strategies for improving health and the quality of life for those with serious mental illnesses. Currently, she is testing whether individuals with mental illness in conjunction with a peer health navigator can leverage a personal health record to improve their communication with medical and mental health providers. In this podcast, Dr. Kelly discusses her research on the impact of workplace violence on staff at a large psychiatric hospital. In the study, Dr. Kelly examined a number of variables that assessed rates and types of conflict and assault, the frequency of conflict staff experience with fellow staff members and patients, as well as how they reacted to that conflict, and the impact of conflict on staff emotional and physical well-being and sense of safety. Dr. Kelly goes on to suggest a number of strategies to ameliorate staff conflict as one method of reducing staff-patient conflict. She also makes suggestions for individual clinicians working in settings with elevated levels of conflict. Finally, Dr. Kelly offers some ideas for future research in this area. Dr. Kelly was interviewed in June of 2014 by Stephen Swartz, a research associate at the University at Buffalo School of Social Works, Buffalo Center for Social Research. We want to welcome today Dr. Aaron Kelly. We're going to talk about the research that you've done on workplace violence and staff well-being, work that you did in New York and California, 
Can you tell us how you first got interested in the subject of workplace violence? Sure. I first became interested in workplace violence when I began working at the Nathan Klein Institute in upstate New York after finishing my bachelor's. And Nathan Klein Institute has a 24-patient unit, and it was my first real exposure to psychiatric inpatient care. And while I was there, I was really struck by the tension of trying to maintain a secure unit that still respected patients' rights, so thinking both about staff safety and patient safety. And it's a really hard balance to maintain, and that experience really affected me because we were constantly reminded to be aware of where you were, but you still needed to build a rapport with patients, and finding that right balance takes a lot of vigilance. And even with all the precautions that we took, I still saw patients become agitated and assaultive at times, and I saw how staff really responded in those moments, both leading up to those incidents, during them, and after. And I was really struck by the differences in how some staff were really good at de-escalating situations or jumping in appropriately when they needed to, and then some other staff kind of struggled with it. And it really, those experiences stuck with me. How extensive is the problem of workplace violence, particularly in mental health settings? Well, it's a really serious issue, and unfortunately, psychiatric staff tend to bear the brunt of that, as the majority of violence incidents tend to target staff. And although the rates tend to differ across inpatient and outpatient settings, there's usually about a 40 to 60% rate of staff that are assaulted in any given year. And when you talk about over the course of a career, rates of about 75% have been found. So it's a pretty serious issue. So it sounds like working in a mental health setting, particularly an inpatient setting, is really a high risk. And I know that you've talked with me about attempts from federal agencies to monitor issues of assault. Yes. In California, I began looking into the four California psychiatric hospitals because they became under a human rights violation lawsuit with the Department of Justice. And it was largely because there were concerns about patient violence. The patients were being harmed and staff were being harmed. And they were very concerned about the situation in the hospital. But unfortunately, the oversight that they brought in to deal with that issue They brought in a bureaucrat who increased the amount of paperwork and really sort of missed the boat in terms of realizing that this was a great opportunity to improve care. So they improved their reporting, but they didn't improve their incidents of assault. You've also talked about the impact of conflict in the work environment, not just assaults by patients. Yes, uh, the vast majority of situations that escalate into violence are related to the fact that there's usually some sort of buildup of aggression or tension between staff and patients, but also having sort of a high-conflict environment where staff aren't getting along well because they are having disagreements about treatment or they're in conflict with management, that can sort of create sort of chaotic environment. It's not very conducive to a therapeutic environment, which in turn can increase the likelihood of violence by patients. So you're saying that staff conflict unintentionally increases the likelihood of patient-staff conflict. Exactly. And does how an individual clinician react to the conflict make a difference in their own well-being and mental health and likelihood of assault? So in terms of their reaction to sort of verbal aggression, if you have someone who doesn't really react a lot to 
conflict, it can have maybe two possible outcomes. It could be that that person sort of ideally suited to jump into a conflict situation because they're not going to get that worked up about it and they can keep everybody calm. But alternatively, if you have someone who maybe isn't very reactive to conflict because they're just not picking up on social cues, then that could mean that they're at higher risk. And so it's really about trying to find that right balance about how reactive people are to these situations that we hit that right sweet spot for having a therapeutic approach and jumping in appropriately. Well, maybe this is a good time for you to introduce the study that you did and identify some of the major aims of your study. Sure. So I did a study in major psychiatric hospital in California, Patton State Hospital. It's actually the largest psychiatric hospital in the country. And I wanted to examine the rates of conflict and assault within the hospital. I also wanted to look at the frequency that conflict was happening with patients and with fellow staff and how people were reacting to those conflicts and how that related to their risk of assault. And then lastly, I wanted to look at the sort of confluence of conflict and assault and people's reactions to those experiences and how that related to how staff were functioning in terms of their mental health, their physical health, and their sense of safety. And you had a pretty large sample. Yes. I sent out the survey to the entire hospital staff, and of those who responded, I had about a 66% response rate. And over 300 participants reported about their violence and their conflict experiences and those reactions. And in order to study this, I measured some established risk factors. We tend to expect that male staff are a little bit more likely to get assaulted, less experienced staff are likely to be more assaulted, and also people like psychiatric technicians and nurses who tend to spend the most time on the unit and interacting with patients, those are people who are typically seen as most at risk. I also measured the rates of conflict with fellow staff, with patients. I measured their reactivity to social conflict. So are they someone who tends to have a conflict and get angry and they can't let it go? Or are they someone who, not a big deal, they can just walk away from it. It doesn't really affect them. And we also looked at the frequency that people were assaulted, how people felt about those assault experiences. Were they not affected or did they feel overwhelmed by them? And then we looked at how safe they felt at work. And then we used some established measures of mental health screening, such as the GHQ-12, and their physical health using the Hopkins checklist. And you also asked about their own perceptions of safety, if I recall. Yes. Important to see how they felt about being in their workplace. Because if you're in a sort of fear state when you walk into work, that's not necessarily conducive to making connections with patients either. Any surprises in your study? Well, I was really struck by the rates of violence in this hospital. 70% of staff reported at least one physical assault incident in the last year. And so we're seeing a much higher rate than we would expect in a single year. And staff also reported a great deal of verbal conflict. They had 94% of the sample reported some sort of conflict with a fellow staff member, but only a fifth of them reported having conflict often or very often. But that's still a pretty serious rate of conflict to be having with your coworkers. It's a, a highly tense environment if that's happening. And many of these had to take time off? I found that 11% of my sample ended up having to take time off due to their assault. So even though that's a relatively small fraction of people being assaulted, that's actually a pretty serious number of people that are having to take time off from work because they've been hurt. And it's not just about the impact of people 
personally being injured, it's also about the issues related to seeing your coworkers being injured. So if you see someone who's injured in a severe enough manner that they have to take time off from work, that experience is probably going to stay with your coworkers as well. This makes it a very difficult place to work and to maintain a sense of well-being. What other kinds of findings did you have? Well, I found that, entirely surprisingly, 91% of staff felt that they needed more protection while they were at work, and 45% of them reported that they were unsafe or very unsafe at work. So concerns about safety were really quite serious, and that was related to both the levels of conflict with fellow patients and with fellow staff and their reaction to this. So all of these things mattered for people not to feeling very safe at work. Yeah, you and I have spoken about the kind of dilemma about reactivity. Can you describe what happens to people who are really particularly low reactive and what are the other risks for people who are particularly highly reactive to conflict? So I found this sort of interesting relationship with stress reactivity to social conflict because in terms of their risk for being assaulted, I found that people that were experiencing a great deal of conflict with their fellow staff and with uh, patients were actually at a much higher risk for being assaulted if they were less reactive to conflict. So people who were not reactive to conflict were actually much more likely to get assaulted. And it's unclear whether or not that's due to they were the people who were sort of jumping in or if they were sort of the people that may be missing out on social cues. So that's something to look into in the future. But I also found that there do appear to be some other effects as well. So in terms of people who are experiencing a lot of staff conflict, if they're very reactive to conflict and they're experiencing a lot of conflict, then they're the people who are having a lot more mental health issues. So even though they're not the people that are being assaulted the most, they're still paying this price in terms of their mental health. And so it really seems that we need to find this right balance between how reactive people are to conflict so that they are able to avoid being assaulted, but they're also not paying a sort of psychological toll because of it. Do you think this is a a characterological trait, or do you think this is something that can be modified? Can reactivity to conflict be moderated by some kind of intervention or training? I suspect that it is something that we could modify. I suspect that this requires some additional attention in terms of either selecting people that we bring into the environment, but also there could be some training in terms of stress management or some sort of assistance that could be provided to staff so that they can manage these conflicts more easily. You also had some other clear conclusions that dealt with staffing as well, particularly around staff resiliency. So I think an important message is that staff in these hospitals are pretty resilient. Even though they were experiencing a great deal of assault and conflict, most of the staff reported that they were doing okay in terms of their mental health and their physical health functioning. But it's really about the sort of impact of these everyday conflict situations that tend to matter for how well staff are doing. And so we really need to pay much more attention to these relationships between patients and staff and among staff themselves so that we can really see improvements in how these hospitals are run. What do you think we can do to lower or to alter or change the level of staff conflict in an institution? Have you seen any worthwhile interventions? Well, 
part of the issue there is that we need to be able to give staff more opportunities to have some control over their experiences in the hospital. We need to give staff more autonomy, and we also need to give them more time where they can actually focus on working with patients. One of the big issues with the external monitor from the Department of Justice was that he really had them focus on increasing their documentation, which really didn't give people enough time to really build relationships with patients. And some of the prior research has really shown that it's about the quality of interactions that people have with the patients. Building that therapeutic rapport, it can be one of the best ways of preventing violence. But also you've mentioned that building relationships between staff seems to be almost equally important in order to reduce a level of conflict. Maybe that's the parallel process that might be able to be followed. Exactly. I don't think that we can look at these things as two totally separate entities. I think that we have to think about them as sort of building on each other. And so if we don't really work to improve the interactions, not only with patients, but also among staff, so that they really feel like they're being heard, that they're communicating well, that they're operating together well, and that they're making the same sort of effort to improve the environment, I think that that's a really important aspect of improving the general functioning of the hospital. But an important takeaway in the kinds of things you're talking about is that the way in which an individual reacts to to this kind of violence determines consequences for themselves and also the way workers interrelate with each other also has a major impact. So this isn't just about assaultive clients. This is about a situation that makes it either easier or makes individuals vulnerable. So we can't be blaming just the difficulty of dealing with the clients on this. Absolutely. I mean, this is a population that is always going to be challenging because of the nature of the issues that led them to be put into an inpatient setting in the first place. But once they're there, there, I've seen some really amazing things that can happen when staff really work together and they're in a harmonious, concentrated effort to really behaviorally and cognitively work with therapeutic approaches to bring a patient back under control. And when you see these teams really operate, you can see some really amazing things. Well, you've given some good advice for institutions. What advice would you have for the clinicians who are actually working in these settings or advice for some who shouldn't be working in these settings? Well, I think that people walk into these types of professions, these helping professions, because they do want to be able to help people. And it can be a little bit jarring for people to realize that people are not just very grateful for them to be there and helping them. And people really need to take care of themselves and to find ways to manage their stress and to realize that, yes, conflict will occur in these settings. That's not completely avoidable, but the way that you choose to react to that and the way that you deal with that will go a long way in terms of how well you'll be able to stay in that type of position for the long term. And I know you have some general advice for researchers in this topic and some ideas about what you would do for further research. Could you share those with us? Sure. So one of the things I talked about at the beginning of describing my study was how we use a lot of sort of static risk factors, things such as gender, years of experience, position, in order to predict the likelihood of assault within these settings. But there has been a recent meta-analysis that really concluded that these types of variables only account for about 10-15% of the variance in assaultiveness. 
So that says to me that we need to be much more expansive in terms of the types of variables that we look at. We can't look for these sort of easy to identify factors. We have to look at the more nuanced relational factors. How well are we talking to each other? What types of interactions are happening? These more escalating situations. And we really need to be much more complex in our understanding of the situation. Well, you've given us a good idea about how extensive workplace violence is, particularly in a psychiatric setting and very particularly in an inpatient setting, and really identified for us that there are characteristics that we have as clinicians which can make it more difficult for us, either in assault or in our own sense of mental health, and that there's some control over that. We may be able to affect that or change that, and certainly the institutions can by either helping modify the behavior of staff or being more selective in those that they recruit. I think uh, all of that's been really very helpful. Do you have any final words you'd like to share with us? Sure. I want to remind people that people with mental illness are not at higher risk for being assaulted in general. The situations that I'm talking about right now are people who are in psychiatric inpatient settings, and so it can seem that people with mental illness are just a much more violent group. But many studies show that people with mental illness are not more violent than the general population. And so we really need to be careful not to stigmatize people with mental illness and assume that they're going to be violent just because they have a mental illness. And I think that's a really important message to keep in mind. And a good way to end. We want to thank you, Dr. Erin Kelly, for sharing with us your research and knowledge about workplace violence and staff well-being. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. You have been listening to Dr. Erin Kelly discuss her research on workplace violence and staff well-being. We hope you have found it enlightening. This is Charles Sims, your host. Please join us for another episode of In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu.